1: Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. James is away on holidays. Lucky James picked a good week for it. Filling in this morning is Andrew Allen. Andrew, good morning to you. Uh,
2: yeah, morning. I'll, I'll, I'll stop short of good at this point.
1: Okay, morning. Is that with a U? We're having a bit of a... Uh, Arsenal versus Spurs performance in terms of uh, our audio microphone uh, setup. Uh, so this this podcast is, I guess, starting or where we left off on the pitch yesterday uh, in, in the North <laughs> London derby. So
2: yeah, it's yeah, a one very of those... frustrating start.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Well, look, we'll we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Two um, two draw in the derby, a game where I think probably I think almost definitely Spurs will be a lot happier with that result than we are. And you don't want them to be happy in any way. We'll get into exactly why it ended up that way. But I I feel like, you know, they'll be very, very uh, pleased with the point that they got, not least because, you know, it's not that they didn't have to work for it and they did play some okay stuff at times, but we absolutely gifted them the point, particularly with, with the second goal. Yeah. Yeah. 100%.
2: Really a very frustrating afternoon from an Arsenal perspective. I mean, you go into these games as a supporter and when the atmosphere is as sort of red hot as it was at uh, kickoff, you're kind of so expectant of a big performance. Mm. We just really didn't get going at all. And um, I mean, I think we'll get to the injuries, obviously, but that kind of, there was a certain unease as well in the crowd. You know, you looked at the bench and you weren't sure of the depth and you were like, we just need to kill it from the outset. And we just we just didn't. And um yeah, the mistakes, the sloppiness in general was, was not fun to see. And I think there's a you know, there's a level of tension in the crowd now which maybe wasn't there this time last season because the expectations were lower and every point drop now feels like a defeat in a way. Yeah. And um, you know, when you don't win a home North London derby it, 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 it sort of exacerbates that even further. So yeah.
1: Well, I mean, let's start with the team then because um, we knew Gabriel Martinelli was was not going to play, but we had no idea that we'd be without Leandro Trossard until just before the game news started to come out. There's a bit of a uh, hamstring strain for him, apparently. So that required something of a rethink from Mikel Arteta. His decision was to start Eddie Nketiah as the striker and play Gabriel Jesus out wide. I mean, this is one where... I think there's probably some amount of debate as to what he might have done in terms of his team selection. Jesus was excellent as the number nine against PSV in midweek. And my my guess is that he would have started as the number nine had Trossard been fit. What did you make of the decision to put him out wide and, and play Eddie up top? You know, he did have other options, potential options that he could have used. He could have started Emile Smith-Rowe. He could have started Reese Nelson on the left. He could have maybe played Kai Havertz on the left as well, perhaps. I don't know. But, I mean, what did you think of the decision there and and how that panned out?
2: Um, I mean, I'd, I think I'd have been more surprised if he'd have, if he'd gone with any of the three that you just suggested there mm. for sure. Like I think, given that Jesus has played out wide for Manchester City, scored a lot of goals out there, um, knows how to drift and how to attack a winger, and has sorry attack a fullback and has pace. I wasn't overly surprised. Obviously there was a there was a disappointment that we were two players down in that position and we were suddenly having to fumble around and find a solution. And obviously, you know, on top of that, it takes away an extra danger off the bench. Um mm. I've seen a couple of people questioning why maybe Rhys Nelson didn't get a start, and maybe that sort of underlines the sort of oddness in handing Rhys Nelson a, a new deal. I mean, here's a guy who you know you you've just committed to a long term contract, but you still don't quite trust him to start games out wide, which is obviously where he's supposed to do his damage so uh yeah i, I think m l. Smith wrote would have been a big i mean it would have been a big game to chuck him in given that he's not started a Premier League game in a long long time or at least not a game that really really matters um so I thought it was the it was the right call in the circumstances i mean I know we've seen Eddie sometimes play. You know, wider as well, but I just think it made more sense for Jesus to be out there. But there was no doubt there was it was it was disappointing not to have Trossard or, or Martinelli. I mean, we knew as you said mm. Martinelli, but Arteta had given nothing away in the the, the pre match press conference, so I have to assume that the Trossard was quite a late injury. Yeah, there, I think really, it happened on in Friday. or Yeah, something. it
1: happened in training apparently on, on the Friday. So you know, it requires a rethink. And like you, you know, uh, in the circumstances, you know, given the amount of minutes that these players have had. If you're looking for players to be at full tilt going into a Derby, you know Eddie's played a lot this season. Jesus is coming back nicely. So it did make some sense in in that regard. And I thought Jesus was good, actually. I thought really for the first 30 minutes or so, we were well on top. Um, I think we deserved to be ahead. But there were things about our performance that were nagging at me even in that period, you know, there was a sort of a lack of precision in some of the stuff that we did, whether that was collecting balls, uh, you know, center forward. Uh, We've got a bigger discussion about Eddie and the center forward position, which I might say for part two, because we've got a load of questions about that. But, you know, moments where players who you know are capable of a lot more than we saw yesterday was sort of giving the ball away, just turning over possession a little bit. I thought you know, Ben White was very good at right back, got forward, intercepted well, but we didn't quite get on it in the way that we uh, normally would like. But I thought we were good value for the lead in, in, the, uh, in the opening period of that game.
2: Yeah, I mean it was it was sort of frantic and we were trying to work our you know, work our way around spurs and they were trying to do the same with us. They were relatively patient, I thought, on the ball and pretty brave and you know, you as a as a supporter who'd watched the last few North London derbies and looked at how bad Spurs were, you you could see that there was a new level of confidence there. So, again, you're, you're slightly like looking at that and thinking as a supporter, oh my god, this is going to be a bit more difficult than I was hoping. But, I mean, I I think what you you say about us being a little bit sloppy on the ball, really, I looked at Martin Odegaard yesterday, and he for one seemed to sum everything up for me. I think he had that booking on about 15 minutes for, for calling for a yellow card for, I can't remember who it was who made a, a tackle on Was it Udogi And he'd also had, yeah, and he'd also had a tackle from Basumer on him. And I think he was quite agitated about that because it was two in 10 seconds. But w- what I sensed with the yellow card for Odegaard was that it slightly upset his rhythm. He had been closing down like a mad dog and snapping into challenges. And he suddenly realized he wasn't going to be able to, to take some of those risks. So he would run around, get near to the player, but not yeah. necessarily stick a, a foot in. And I just felt like he suddenly started to overthink things a little bit. And yeah, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't great on the ball yesterday, which is a real shame. I think you've raised it was what, 67%, 68% pass completion rate overall, um, yeah. which is way off his best. But also when you look at the number of touches he had, I mean, he, he, he didn't really play that You know, he, he wasn't on the ball. So I thought Spurs did well to kind of keep him off the ball because they know mm. how central he is to us
1: um, yeah yeah. I mean th- I mean, that is uh, I think he completed just 19 passes and his overall pass completion rate was 68% which is well well below where where he usually operates you know and how much of that is down to the way Tottenham played the game or managed Martin Odegaard I'm, I'm not 100% sure I'd have to watch it again I think he just had a very very quiet day I mean I think you're right about the booking as well that said, I I really think there's something – there's something when you look at a situation like that, the guy goes in, commits a really bad foul on Bakayo Saka – Gets a yellow card, and I know the rules are the rules and all the rest of it. But the same punishment for Martin Odegaard for for basically just saying "come on, ref," you know, looking to protect his his teammate. I think there's something wrong with that. You know, I'm not saying that you know as the as the rules go, he didn't deserve a yellow card. I mean, that is the rule, and everyone knows you can't do it. But it doesn't make any sense, really.
2: No, and also, you know, these days they ask that only the captain talks to the referee. He's the captain like you've got to give him some leeway to express his opinion otherwise you're basically saying silence from everybody on the pitch and i thought that in particular seemed it did seem like a weird one because by and large as the game had gone he didn't he didn't ref it badly i didn't think overall i thought he had a reasonable game he controlled it he allowed enough flow there was a few niggly tackles and stuff but he didn't let the occasion get on top of him but that was a weird one, right? You know, it was booking mm. kind of because the law now says we're not going to allow anybody to to show dissent to the referees and call for you. Like, you know, it just felt like it had come from above rather than something he wanted to do. But he did it. It affected us, I thought, particularly affected Erdegaard. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, that sloppiness was... Was 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 not impressive. I mean, there was a few switches of play. I saw Sinchenko tried to do a big one, which kind of didn't work out. Saliba, similar mm. kind of, you know, there was an impatience. You know, a sense like they wanted to take advantage of of the mood in the crowd, but they just needed to maybe take a moment and settle and be a little bit calmer on the ball.
1: Then we did go ahead, and we had some some moments of danger. There was the the Saka cross to Jesus at the back post. Keeper made a good save, and then. Mm. Eddie got in behind when they made a mistake. He tried to shoot at the near post. You know, some uh, Fabio Vieira was there looking for looking for a pass, but I'm not sure the pass was really on. Um,
2: no, definitely not. I mean, I've watched it a few times this morning and you see the way that Eddie runs after the ball, that at the time that he collects it or he's just about to collect it, Vieira's outside the box, basically. I mean, yeah. it would have been a difficult pass. And, you, you know, for a striker of his type you know a poacher the idea that he would sort of pull back there just seems completely yeah, yeah i just couldn't see that happening so he did what he went for and i thought vicario you know he's a good shot stopper you know he made that i thought it was a very good save from jesus just before mm. and um i mean you'd expect him to make the the Enketia save but he did well
1: then we went ahead as
2: sloppy as i was hoping
1: <laughs> no no uh yeah they, they i i was sort of i think i said in the live blog at one point um that I felt that Odegaard was going to rob one of the centre-halves. Is it Van de Ven? Is that his name? And yeah, um, yeah. I felt like that was going to happen. It happened a bit later, but with a different player and, and everything else, we'll, we'll come to that. But we did get the goal one of the times where I think we did work it fairly fluently. Um, I think it was switched, wasn't it? Over from the the left over to the right, comes to Saka. Uh, ben White made a very good run Uh I think it was Johnson who went with him. And then there was a sort of confusion between Johnson and the, and the fullback Saka comes inside. You don't let Saka come inside. He takes a shot. Romero puts a leg out. Uh, it's pretty crappy defending, uh, went down ultimately as a, as an own goal. Um, but I think we were, we were worthy of that lead at that time. I don't know why, if you've got any thoughts on the goal beyond it being just a bit clumsy from Romero, but,
2: um, I mean, I think I think Ben White making an overlapping run was—it was pretty much the first time in the game that he he'd done that, and he hadn't needed to really up to that point because unusually Saka was mostly one against one with Udogi, and a lot of the games he's had this season, he's had at least two players on him. Did so you did you I feel after like Saka had some freedom?
1: Sorry, after after um, Udogi got booked, did you feel like maybe Saka could have run at him a little bit more? There were a couple of moments where. I felt like he could have just accelerated down the wing a little bit and just tested him a bit more on that yellow cart.
2: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, once you've got your full back on a a yellow like that, you really, really got to press him. And I felt like, you know, in that instance, we probably should have seen more two against one down there. And again, you know, it was kind of left to to Saka. To be fair to a Dougie, he actually did pretty well after he Got booked, you know. He he realized he was up against it, and he kind of was a bit, sens- bit more sensible with his decision making. He wasn't quite so tight to Saka, but yeah, I, yeah. I think that's something that they'll look at and think, oh, you know, we could have taken more advantage of that. Mm. But I mean, as for the goal, I mean, I'm not sure that shot was going in. Uh, it, it looked like it was probably going to fizz past the post, but yeah, classic Romero. I mean, he's a funny looking bloke, isn't he? I mean, he just yeah. has this sort of dumb look on his face the whole time. And seeing it kind of flying like that was, uh, yeah, good fun. And you kind of thought at that point, okay, here we go. Let's, you know, that's a good start. Now, now we go. Now we go again. If we can get the next one, that's the gate. That'll be the game out of reach. I think.
1: Didn't and we come. We should have had the next one. It was only a couple of minutes later when, when Gabriel Jesus robbed James Madison in the box, mm-hmm. took a shot first time. I think he went for power rather than placement. I sort of understand the decision in the moment just to sort of crack it beyond the goalkeeper, and it wasn't that far over, but from the position he was in, you've got to hit the target at least. I'm not saying he should absolutely 100% score there, but it is such a big moment and I think that had a real impact on the game. I think it had an impact on us and I think it had an impact on Spurs that that for whatever reason, you know, you're, you're one nil up and then you miss a chance like that and you as a team collectively, I don't know how it works in the subconscious uh, in that it affects a team, this sort of a knowledge that you should be 2-0 up, and now all of a sudden your lead feels a bit precarious and it impacts the way you play. Conversely, for the opposition, they're like, oh, Christ, we got away with one there. Uh, We better up our game a little bit. And I think after that miss from Gabriel Jesus, the game changed a little bit certainly we got a bit more nervous and when you couple that nervousness with the sloppiness that was already evident in in our performance despite the fact that you know i i think we deserve to be ahead that sloppiness was there throughout so then you take a step backwards and now you're a bit nervous and you're a bit shaken by the fact that the lead that you think you should have is no longer there and you realize oh this is a tighter game than than it it needs to be at this point so i mean was that a turning point for you
2: yeah, I th- I don't think you can see it any other way. I mean, I, I rewatching it this morning and just seeing how many times we gave the ball away in the in the in the six minutes between, or it was about seven or eight minutes between the goal and their goal. Jesus gave it away. Raya gave it away. Raya gave it away. Erdegaard gave it away. Gabriel gave it away. Raya gave it away. We started trying to play longer, more ambitious passes to mm. get out of places instead of holding on to the ball. Looking for the nearer man, keeping possession, slowing it down. It all got a bit frantic and we lost control and allowed Spurs to come into it a bit more. They got, they certainly got more, more confident and more ambitious. Mm. Um, I think, in, you know, Madison having been caught on the ball, I think he said in his post game comments, you know, that was a bit of a wake up call, a real reminder that I needed that this game is going to move really, really quickly and I can't, you know, nobody can dawdle on the ball. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, he obviously came into the game and played. He played pretty well, to be honest, Madison. I mean, he did. Um, yeah, he was. He was really good. And I, I thought, you know, we 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 had a moment when obviously Raya made a fine stop, and at that point, the crowd was kind of really starting to. Panic a little bit. Mm. Um, What did you? Yeah, what did you make of that save?
1: I mean, it's an unbelievable save. It it really is. It's it's a fantastic save, but it just demonstrated the the problems that we were having with Spurs, particularly coming down our left. Crosses coming in from that side Uh, causes a a few little problems. But it's a brilliant save. It really is a brilliant piece of goalkeeping. But you're right. You know, the that that period where they created that chance and and uh, you know subsequently went on to score we gave the ball away a lot. We didn't deal with things the way we should have dealt with things in in that period of the game. And it allowed them to get a little bit of a a head of steam, you know? Uh, I mean, there's a moment, uh, fuck, what was I going to say? I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. So we might as well, um, move on to, to the goal. um, like, you can analyze, and I'm sure you've looked at it again, you can analyze this goal in all kinds of ways. Uh, you know, as I said in the blog today, I don't think it's a catalog of errors per se, but it's a collection of things that we just did not do well enough as a team. You know, it starts, I think, even with the the initial cross that Raya sort of palms away. That cross was allowed to come in way too easily. We had three players out there. I think Gabriel Jesus could, uh, could have... Uh, closed, I can't remember who who it was. Uh, Poro maybe. Um, he could have closed the guy who took the cross, uh, closed him down much quicker. Rias Pam wasn't especially convincing, but he did make a good save. Rice heads it away. Spurs bring it back in. Uh, we all love Bakayo Saka, but uh, James Madison ran off him way too easily there. You know, that was not great defending mm. from Saka. And when the ball came in, you know i looked at it and thought jesus how did son get there because i think it was saliba rice and gabriel if you look back at the replay the movement is is really sharp he just takes a step off gabriel and then uh, you know attacks the ball and gets a toe on it between three arsenal players but you know you can see how that goal could pretty easily have been avoided
2: honestly i'm i'm not i'm not a great fan of Rye kind of keeping the ball in play there from that initial cross obviously there's still no danger of a goal at that point and Arsenal have the opportunity to get away Saka getting rolled by Madison I don't want to make too big a thing of this but and I'm sure it's more of an in-joke between Saka and Madison but Saka using the opportunity of the ball going in the back of the net to use Madison's kind of dart board or dart throwing celebration Mm. I don't I don't really like the idea of winding up opposition players unnecessarily and i'm not even sure if madison necessarily saw it but there was a real kind of like you know madison rose to the rose to the occasion after that and then saka did it again in the second half and i'm kind of thinking like come on like (laughs) do we need to do this but yeah it was it was it was bad from saka he'll he'll no doubt be on the naughty step with arteta when they review the review the game today Mm. um But yeah, I think you have to hand it to Son. There were six Arsenal players in the box. He made the right move. Even the finish is dinked just enough to stop Gabriel getting a foot on it. Mm. Hits the post. I mean, it was unstoppable. It was a really, really very, very good finish from Son. But look, when you've got one player there and and six Arsenal players and and their guy gets the ball and scores, then you've got to be disappointed. Absolutely. It was Um,
1: unconvincing from everybody involved from an Arsenal perspective.
2: Yeah. Yeah 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 yeah. I mean and then I mean not much else happened in the in the tail end of the you know the final minutes of the game it was all very very sort of scrappy and back and forth and broken up by fouls and stuff and I think at half time everyone looked around and was kind of like yeah that probably you know we should be we should be you know sight here not outside but we should definitely have a bigger lead if not the lead full stop mm. so it was frustrating absolutely and then i mean you're sitting there and you're, you're watching the highlights and you're thinking well we have still dominated we've got you know the central midfield area pretty much sewn up i thought but this the the the, the feeling around the stadium when you saw the substitutions coming on that that was a bit of a body blow I thought
1: yeah I think that took the wind out of our sails a little bit because you can sort of you know okay we conceded a a poor goal to concede but go in at halftime you know try and replicate most of what you did in that first 30 minutes and, and get on top and exert control and you know look for some of your your big players to have big games and big performances in that second half I mean Spurs would have been absolutely delighted with the fact that Declan Rice went off. And I don't think it's a coincidence really that when Rice went off, you know, Madison had a, a very good second half. Um, you know, they seemed to, uh, Rice seemed to be more or less in control of him in that first half, you know, bar that moment where, you know, in fairness, it was it was a, a Saka uh, error, if you want to call it that, to let him run off him. But there were two changes at halftime. One of them obviously enforced, which was Rice off and Jorginho on. Then he said that the decision to take Fabio Vieira off was tactical. Do you think it was tactical in that they were going to make that change anyway at halftime? Or the fact that Rice uh, had to go off meant that they needed a bit more presence in central midfield? So a consequence of Jorginho coming on is that Havertz came on for Vieira to give us a bit more stature, a bit more height, you know, maybe a bit more experience in in terms of Premier League, that the the tactical side of that Vieira decision was very strongly linked to the uh, the departure of Rice.
2: Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I think Rice obviously gives you a big physical presence and that's not just, you know, when he's running around in the centre midfield, but also from set pieces. So if I guess if you've got Jorginho and you've got Vieira there, you're suddenly you're lo- you're lowering the average height of the team by a good couple of inches, aren't you? Mm. So I can see I can see why you might have concerns there. I was also I mean at the same time you kind of think Vieira's is not having a bad game. I didn't think you know no. he was influencing neat relatively tidy. I think he'd made what eleven of thirteen passes by halftime, mm-hmm. and um, you know he was fine. I so to to make two changes in the centre of the park one. Forced and one not forced. Mm. I mean, it felt a bit kind of a. It was a big decision, big decision, because you just think, well, that that the whole flow is kind of going there. All the connections between the the back and the centre, so the centre forward positions are are off there. Um, I would have liked to have seen Vieira get a few more minutes, and if he felt necessary, you know, then start to 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 bring on Havertz. But I, I mean. Yeah, maybe it was Maybe it was more guided by set pieces. And
1: maybe. Stuff like and I think it had a real knock-on impact for what we were able to do or maybe wanted to do in the second half in terms of our substitutions. Because there was part of me thinking, like, you know, Eddie wasn't having a great game in the first half, and he didn't have a great game in the second half either. And I thought, well, maybe uh, an option in the second half, if you've got rice – is to put Havertz on as a centre forward. You know, you do have to manage Jesus and all the rest of it. Maybe that might have been an option that we were thinking of in in the second half, but obviously couldn't then um, couldn't then use that because we'd used Havertz at half time. I mean, I think it is a big change. I think when you do change two thirds of your central midfield at half time, it has a, an impact on how well you're going to be able to play if those guys don't hit the ground running. Um, if they're coming in a little bit cold, then it, it can have an impact on your performance levels. I mean, I didn't think Havertz was bad by any means, um, but, you know, he didn't really, didn't really offer much um, in terms of attacking threat, but that's true of the team. And I'm sort of wary of making, uh, you know, this this sort of Havertz discussion the center of it, because, you know, the reason we uh, dropped points wasn't because of, of Kai Havertz by any means, but that, that, sort of big change at halftime where two-thirds of your central midfield comes off, it does feel like it can have a, a, an impact on your performance.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think with the Haberts thing, and I'm sure maybe there'll be, there'll be questions in the second half uh, of the show about this, but it does feel like a certain portion of the crowd at Arsenal has made up their mind about Havertz already. And in a team where so many of the players they like, it's very obvious when this guy's on the ball that there's a sense of, you know, if he makes a mistake, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him about it. Uh and I don't really like that because honestly, we we had that exact scenario with Granite Jacker. You know, when you when you start getting on the back of a player, it just doesn't it doesn't help in any way, shape, or form, especially a guy who's new to the club, trying to build his confidence. And I, I, I do feel for him a little bit because it feels like he's really facing a bit of an up, uphill battle. To be fair, though, as you said, he I don't think he really did anything wrong yesterday. He maybe didn't, you know, offer as much as you might have hoped. But then I just think that as a midfield unit, we didn't really do that. And yeah. look, in the minutes after he came on, actually, we weren't bad. You know, we started pretty brightly. We snapped into challenges. We were, you know, we'd obviously had a bit of a rocket put up as by Arteta. And not long after, there we go. You know, we win a corner uh, and and from the corner, we win the penalty.
1: I mean, it's so, so obviously a penalty as well. Um, I don't know yeah. if you've caught the sky highlights or whatever, but Gary Neville, and I'm going to go off here a bit on Gary Neville, if you don't mind. Um, you know, he was going, <laughs> how, you know, how, what are you supposed to do with your hands? Like, I get it. And a lot of these handball decisions are a bit baffling. We don't quite know what's really handball and what isn't handball. And, um, you know, there have been some very vague decisions, you know, in both respects. somewhere you think, well, that could be a penalty and it's not given. Or you think that's never a penalty and it's given. I mean, this one seemed ironclad to me. I don't really understand why it took so much time to come to the decision to make a penalty. Like, uh, as I've said often, my rule of thumb is like, if this happens in our box – What's my reaction? And if that had happened in our box and a penalty was given, I couldn't complain. And if a penalty wasn't given, I'd feel like, holy shit, we got away with one there.
2: Yeah. I mean, my take on it is very much if Ben White hits the ball like that into Romero's hand and he's crossing it from the edge of the box, it looks really harsh. If Ben Ben White, as he is, is shooting from three yards out and the ball is going into the roof of the net and it's stopped by a guy's hand, then you have have to give a penalty. I mean, how can you not give a penalty? I mean, the ball is going in. Um, Yeah, and that, I think, for me, is where there's a sort of, okay, yeah, maybe it wasn't intentional. And maybe if it wasn't intentional and it was right on the edge of the box or something, you kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, it would have been really harsh. Mm. But given the circumstances, I mean, I don't think you can argue with it.
1: At no, all. I don't think um, so. I don't think so. And look, it, it it is what it is. And the process is what the process is. You know, they came to the right decision. Ultimately, um, it's very obviously a penalty, but Kai Osaka stepped up, took it, took it very well, straight down the middle. And we're 2-1 up. And that's the start to the second half that you want. And then immediately we make a a big mistake. And this is, again, where I'm going to go off on Gary Neville a little bit. He was, you know, after the goal went in, he was like, I said it lots of times about Arsenal over-celebrating. You've got to get your mind out. There's a job still to do. You know, this team, this crowd, they're always over-celebrating, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, this has got nothing to do with (laughs) over-celebrating. That goal had literally... Not one thing to do with the Arsenal players, the bench, the team, the fans, none of it. Why wouldn't you celebrate a, a goal in a derby? You, you big, you stupid little man, because you did it all the time when you played in big games or you played against Liverpool. Do you remember that game against Liverpool where he gave it all fucking that? You know, you're thinking, yeah. you stupid. It was a terrible, terrible mistake from Jorginho, a player like the last player I would have expected to make that mistake. He dallied on the ball. He got caught. Gabriel was, you know, in a position where he's expecting the ball to come to him because the, you know, Jorginho's going to pass it to Saliba. Saliba might pass it across to Raya. Raya will pass it to Gabriel and Jorginho gets caught on the ball. It's a, just a horrible, terrible individual error from a very, very experienced player who should know better. And, that's the reason that the goal went in nothing to do with how much anybody celebrated so there you go
2: i i can also say that i barely celebrated uh Saka's goal i was i was so kind of tense and sort of i felt like mm. we you know that wasn't sort of game over you know the way spurs had been playing i kind of watched the ball go in and i was relieved but there was a sense, and I think there were some other people around. I didn't really feel like it was wild celebrations. I think also after a long delay like that and a penalty and all the rest of it, mm. like it's not quite the same as a ball flying in, in in open play. But yeah, I mean, obviously nothing to do with what happened afterwards. I thought, you know, for Georginian that was a real case of rustiness. So the ball comes to him, just tried to go inside. Do you know what it really reminded me of, actually? You know, when Fabregas scored straight from the kickoff, uh, uh, mm. after Van Persie had put it ahead a few years ago there, it was a very similar kind of little passage of play where the ball was just broken up and then suddenly the whole pitch opened up yeah. straight in front of Madison and if Madison had gone straight forward and put the ball in the inside you know of, of, of Raya's post you wouldn't have been surprised but he, he made a pass on finished it off and It was game on again, and it was – yeah, I mean, at that point, you just really wondered where the school was going to go. You know, I'd I'd actually predicted 4-2 to Arsenal prior to the game, and I was thinking to myself, well, 2-2 here. I'm well set. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it it did suck the life out of the crowd a bit again. Yeah,
1: and it was sort of a strangely tense game after that, Mm. albeit one in which not a great deal happened. You know, there was (sighs) – there was like a, was there another chance for Son where he hit the side netting? I think Saliba slid in and made a good block. They got a corner from it, and they had one move down the right where I think Gabriel made an interception, the ball coming across to Son. But, you know, it was really tense, obviously, at 2-2, and you're, you're sort of, after you give away two goals in that way, you're thinking, well, we could do it again we could easily concede another goal because we could just make another mistake out of anywhere. I mean, it it does seem to be a bit of a feature of our home games. You know, this is a, Mm. this is a goal. We conceded like what? 20 seconds after a kickoff, you know, where you've Mm. just got to control. You've got to manage those periods after you, uh, you score a goal or, you know, even the, the early goals that we've conceded in, in some of the games. Right. But the individual mistakes excuse me, seem to happen at home far more than they happen away. I mean, do you have any theories on why that might be? Because you've spoken maybe a little bit about tenseness in in the crowd, but generally speaking, there is a, a, a sort of overwhelming support and goodwill towards these players. So it's not as if they're playing in like a, a pressure environment where every mispass, every slightly loose uh, bit of play is like, <gasps> you know, the, the way it used to be. Remember, you'd be like, oh, it's mm-hmm. not that anymore. So, how do you try and come to terms with the idea that that these mistakes are happening and and like, what the fuck can we do about them? Because you know they they they're costing us points. It cost us points yesterday. Yeah. It cost us points against Fulham. Cost us big points in, in games last season. If you think about that Southampton game in particular, you know that that these like players who we know are better than that are making mistakes which cost us goals.
2: Well, I mean, Arteta was asked in the pre-game press conference uh, about Arsenal conceding the early goals and what he can do about it. And he basically said, I don't know. The more we talk about it, the more it becomes an issue and I'm almost inclined I'm paraphrasing, but I'm almost inclined not to talk to them about it because in in other instances where we kept getting red cards and we talked about it, we got more red cards. We couldn't keep clean sheets and we kept talking about it. And we, you know, the moment we stopped talking about it, we kept a clean sheet. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost one of those things where you don't want to make too big a deal of it because then it becomes a psychological issue. And also you know that you're telling opponents that there's something to, to get at us with. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, in this instance, obviously just very sloppy individual mistakes, the individual mistakes, I think that are the bigger issue. And I know that it's very hard not to have individual mistakes in a game that's going at, you know, a hundred miles an hour, but Yeah, it was just, it was just, it was bad luck. I think bad luck, bad play, bad luck. I don't, maybe it wasn't bad luck. It was just bad play by Jorginho. The crowd, maybe there is something to be said about controlling emotions and Arsenal's stadium is a very emotional place these days. Um, whether it's the emotion that comes out before kickoff when they're singing North London Forever and there's a kind of moment where everyone's looking around and we're all really up for it and there's a big cheer before the kickoff and then it goes and then suddenly you know (laughs) do we need to just sort of chill out a little bit um I again I don't I don't know it's really really difficult to kind of put your finger on it what I would say is that we really need to stop fucking fucking around like that because it is going to cost us i mean you know the tail end of last season was a fine example and now two goals against fulham two goals against spurs it's 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 not good Mm. We, we really need to tight we really need to tighten up and we need to do it quickly away from home i guess you know that you're on such fragile ground when you take the lead that I can understand why you'd be super honed in your concentration. Maybe at home, it just sort of slight lapse there, maybe.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think it is something he's going to have to uh, get on top of, you know, that, that collection of errors, you know, fool me once and all that. Um, You know, it happens too frequently for it not to be something like you. I struggle to really understand what exactly it is. Um, you, you can't put it down to bad luck, but when something becomes a bit of a pattern, you have to try and identify why that, that happens and, and do something about it. Um, I mean, the last half an hour of the game, you know, I think it was tense because of the scoreline and because of what had come, but there really wasn't much at either end. I don't really remember either goalkeeper having to make any kind of big save or anything like that. Two teams. I think. It, look, I'm glad he took Son off. He had to take Madison off. I don't know if you've seen a replay of the I, the knee thing. It was not yeah. good. He, he sort of landed and his knee buckled backwards. Um, you know, I don't I mean, really to be
2: honest. Madison and Song. Madison and Son going off with 13 minutes to go really buoyed the crowd. I think. Yeah, because that I mean, said to Arsenal fans, we're going to try and hold out for a draw now. And those two had been really problematic. Obviously, they <laughs> you know two assists and two goals between them. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe they've gone a bit early making that substitution because I didn't fear it was mm.
3: at all,
2: really. you know when he came on, um, but then we made you know our substitutions, and there were definite there were definite boos in the crowd when uh, Jesus Eddie stayed went, on and yeah. Jesus went off. I, I mean, mean, I think until people realised that actually it was probably to do with the fact that Gabriel Jesus has barely played any football and.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no way that that was a decision uh, that was made based on the relative performances of the, the two players. No. You know, it just can't be. I think it is one of those where we have to accept that they know a bit more about Gabriel Jesus and his fitness and they don't want to, um, you know, we want Gabriel Jesus to be fit for the entire season, not necessarily the last 13 minutes of a, a North London derby, even though you would, you would prefer to have him. Like, I, I was hoping it was going to be Eddie who came off for Reece Nelson and Gabriel Jesus go into the middle, but the decision was obviously made um, you know, based on uh, the physicality and, and the fact that he's only coming back from knee surgery and, and all the rest of it. I did see a, a bit of talk about Kaio Saka staying on uh, despite the fact he had signaled to the bench. Like I didn't notice that on the TV coverage, but uh, I saw Tim Stillman talking about it. he took a fairly heavy kick. He wasn't moving quite as well as you might like. What do you make of the decision to leave him on until like the 95th minute or, or whatever it was? My my guess is that even if Kaio Saka is not at 100%, When you take Gabriel Jesus off, you know that Eddie hasn't really been a threat throughout this game. You still want to win. I do wonder, like for all the people saying, yeah, you've got to manage Saka. You've got to take care of his minutes. You don't want him injured, which I get completely. But if there was a reaction to Jesus coming off, I do wonder what the reaction to Saka coming off as well as Jesus coming off would be when people are, you know, looking for you to go win a north london derby because he is capable he's probably you know of of the attackers that we had on the pitch at that point he is the guy most likely to create something or give you a moment that could lead to a goal
2: yeah i mean he took a he took a very heavy knock and there was a bit of chat, like the guy over my shoulder said, they've got to take him off. You've got to take him off. Look, he's, he can barely walk. Mm. And then <laughs> inside about 15 seconds, he'd had that low shot that Vicario had to yeah, 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 around the post. And it was an absolutely clear example about why you take the risk and leave him on because he's still very, very capable and our most dangerous player, really. Um, that said, he you know, by the time he did go off, he was actually playing at right back um because he couldn't move so they they'd actually he'd gone deliberately sat himself at right back and allowed ben white to go and play further forward he was limping so much he had to go off and uh, you you did sense that arteta maybe should have sort of looked at that and gone okay we could have done this a couple of minutes earlier Mm. um smith rowe came on smith rowe very tidy kind of i think you know kept things ticking over but it was it felt like the game was ebbing away from or ebbing, you know, getting away from us at that point. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was very, very frustrating all round. Yeah. Um, you, you, when you hear 10 minutes of injury time go up and you, 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 know, the experiences we've had recently with late, late goals, there's that real sense of <laughs> expectation that maybe once again, you can drink from that amazing cup of, you know, late glory, but, mm. Yeah, just, just wasn't there. And actually, to be fair, when Spurs went up the other end and then had that corner in the last second, everyone was like, oh, God, yeah, yeah, watching yeah. through their hands.
1: Well, particularly what they did last week as well. Um, and look, as much as uh, we had a question about this a couple of weeks ago, like, would you trade, uh, you know, some of those moments? I, I think we have to, as, as enjoyable as they are, as wonderful as they are, you know, looking for that kind of late drama week after week is something we need to get away from. We need to be more in control of games. You need to be managing games better. Um, and hope, you know, ideally you're, you're sitting there in 10 minutes of injury time, a couple of goals ahead, and you're not that worried about, you know, what what's going to happen. Um, I, I do think this is sort of a, uh, historically anyway, it's a sort of unique fixture in that, the relative quality of the two teams is very often not relevant to the result and the outcome of this game where, you know, you think back to to games where we were at our very best under Arsene Wenger with the players that we had in our team, and you would still have a very tight game against Tottenham. So I'm trying to, you know, as frustrating as it was, and I think we were the architects of our, our drop points yesterday, there's no excusing that. I'm trying to step back and maybe look at it a, a slightly different way. I mean, how do you view the the start to the season after this game? You know, we haven't lost yet this season. Is there something to be said for a team which, even when it isn't playing well, when it doesn't have Declan Rice for half the game, it doesn't have Gabrielle Martinelli, it doesn't have Leandro Trossard, um, it doesn't have Thomas Partey? You know, didn't lose game, you know, we don't know what would have happened if we hadn't given that goal away in, in the immediate aftermath of the penalty. Maybe we would have gone on. Who knows? Maybe they would have got one back. But, you know, I, I, I understand and completely live the frustration of yesterday because of the mistakes that we made. But just sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit is part of the frustration connected to the pursuit of near flawlessness that you need to compete with Manchester City?
2: Oh, I mean, yes, we're unbeaten, but we have played four at home and two away. Mm. And those four at home have had two, two, two draws. You know, those, that fragility there on the, at the back is something that we saw at the tail end of last season. I don't think we've been anywhere near our fluid attacking best in any of the games. Uh, we're not scoring as many goals. I don't think we're creating as many chances. And while we look relatively solid at the back away from home, yeah, there's there's clear vulnerabilities at home. I think if you'd said to Arsenal fans, fourteen points from eighteen in the first six games, I actually think people would be a little bit like, uh, I think I think you should have at least another win in there.
1: Fulham um, should have been. A I win. think
2: it's. Yeah, exactly. I think the situation is slightly exacerbated by Manchester City winning all six of their games and basically cruising to eighteen points. Uh, you look around and Liverpool are looking reasonable. I think there's a sl- there's a there's a tension there now, which is you know the league table says that we are outside the top four at the moment. So while we've laid down some solid foundations, we're not firing all cylinders, mm. and I don't know that. Just because you are not firing on all cylinders right now, that's not a guarantee that you will at some point. I mean, if we now have to face a period up to the next interlull with these injuries, that's going to be a really, really tricky set mm. of fixtures. Three games away in a row, three different competitions. What should have been a, a real opportunity to rotate against Brentford is suddenly, hmm, who are we going to put in? Because mm-hmm. we don't, you know, we can't just chuck fifteen, sixteen-year-old kids in there. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a tense couple of weeks now, uh, leading up to a, a, an absolutely massive game against City. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm tempering, I'm tempering the expectations a little bit. I know, but I'm uh, there's some concerns there for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in Europe we should we saw the other day against PSV, we we really played very very well there was a freedom there and I think we were kind of driven by that uh, occasion as well Mm -hmm. but obviously we've now played a game after a European game and we've not been able to hit those same heights and balancing that now for the for the first half of the season up to Christmas is is something we need to get on top of and this team's not really done it obviously not with Champions League football Mm -hmm. and in the Europa League you can kind of get away with it because the quality drop-off is pretty huge in some of those group games I think we've got quite a not not an amazingly tough group in the Champions League, but quite a tough group that's going to test us every week. So yeah, it's um it's interesting. It's an interesting setup. I mean, I, I on the plus side, I think I think you can take great heart from the fact we've won the two away games, we've kept clean sheets. We have a really 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 tough run in with lots of away games against big clubs, and I think we need to be massively on top of our away form this season. Uh. Because if we're going to drop points at home like this, it's just, yeah, we have to be on top of the away form.
1: All right. Well, look, there's plenty more to, uh, to discuss, which we'll do uh, in the form of questions that you guys have sent in. So what we'll do right here is take a break. We'll come back with your questions more in part two, right after this.
0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify in store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23 shopify.com slash retail 23
1: it's a brand new year and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of those i was there when arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now and to get yourself up and running you need shopify Welcome back to the Arse Cast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at A. Allen Sport and at Arse Blog, also on the Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. We have quite a lot of questions about forwards and center forwards and things like that, Andrew. But just to sort of kick us off in that ballpark, Ashley, William, Ashley Williams, who's at A underscore Williams PhD, um on twitter he says uh, distinctly average morning gents is jesus at nine the key to integrating Havertz at eight eddie is a low touch nine who doesn't roam whereas jesus is the opposite it just seems two low touch players looking to make runs etc is not working in Havertz's favor
2: yeah i mean the the Havertz conundrum is a big one isn't it uh what does Mikel Arteta want to do with him? Where does he want to play him? Who does he want to play him with? Um, there's just so many questions, I think, at the moment surrounding him. And I I, I really don't know the answer. I think... Yeah, I think I take, I take on board that point, though. You know, the idea that Eddie doesn't touch the ball much and Havertz doesn't touch the ball much. And therefore, you've got two players in a very important area of the pitch who aren't touching the ball much. But... Mm. Yeah, Uh, I don't know. I mean, the weird thing with Havertz is that it feels like we're really, you know, in the community shield, he played him up front. Now, part of that was because Jesus wasn't available, Mm -hmm. but it's a position we certainly haven't seen him play up front since. Wasn't, hasn't looked at a point, any point, an option, even when he's been kind of coming off the bench. Well, I mean, he did,
1: he did play uh, a couple of, didn't he finish the game against PSV up front? And there have been a couple of... Yeah, I guess it was a
2: few minutes in a game that had already Kind of already been one, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, I, uh, I, I, my my thinking is that he still wants him to be the, the Xhaka guy, doesn't he? You know, he still wants him to play that role. But what you're seeing from Havertz is a guy who, he doesn't, he, his body language is just completely off at the moment. And I think he's being hammered by the crowd. And I think when you saw that shot yesterday that he had that kind of the ball dropped to him on the edge of the box, and mm. his eyes opened and he volleyed it and he slashed it over the bar. And he looks so dejected because, you know, if that goes in suddenly it's instant hero status, a kind of bit of a sliding doors moment, right? You suddenly think, okay, great winning goal in a North London derby, brilliant volley from the edge of the box. Here we go. You know, he can settle down he gives himself a little bit of leeway, but at the moment, You're kind of looking at him and thinking, has he done enough to earn a starting place? I don't know. You know, I think Vieira's been more impactful. So, yeah. You then start looking at the bench and you say, well, what does Emil Smith-Rowe make of the situation? That's a position that he could play in and he's not getting minutes and Habits is being tried and tried and tried and tried. And you've got a problem because 65 million pounds or however much it was, is a huge amount of money. And the moment you bench him, the narrative becomes... Mm you've benched your £65 million player and the manager is, you know, (laughs) it's on him and it's on Edu. You know, that that money was spent there for a reason and nobody asked them to spend it. We didn't need to let Granite Jacker go. We didn't need to spend £65 million on a replacement in that position you could have easily used it somewhere else on someone else um but it felt like we took an oppor- we saw an opportunity and we 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 ran with it it's like you saw a you know you see a coat in the sale when you're out shopping and you suddenly think <laughs> i'm going to get that I'm going to go and get that, even though you'd not really thought about buying that coat before you saw it in the sale. Um, and, <laughs> I, and now you don't really like the sale. Uh, you don't the coat, like the coat. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd ha- I have to think that there's probably a little more strategy in terms of the the, the decision to yeah. to bring in Kai Havertz than some sort of, um, what do you call that, impulse shopping, because, you know, there's 200 quid <laughs> off the coat. I mean, I don't think we got a discount when it comes to Havertz uh, in any event, you know. But I, I – I, I have to, like you, I have to assume that he wants him to be the the player that replaces Granit Xhaka, um, and he has dropped him. You know, he did drop him for the Manchester. Was it Manchester United? Um, yeah, he did drop him for that. I obviously, brought him back yeah. in for PSV, but he did drop him. He did play Vieira there. So that that narrative is is what it is. I mean, I, I there's another question here. Um, it's called it's from Stan, but not that one. On the Discord, are you sure? Are you lurking, Stan, on our Discord? Anyway, he says, "I don't think it's a coincidence that the game where we've clicked the most this season, PSV, was the one in which Gabriel Jesus started at centre forward, while I assume Eddie only came into the team against Spurs because of Trossard's injury." It raises the question of how we should set up if Trossard slash Martinelli aren't available. Is it time to start trusting Reece Nelson or Emil Smith Rowe to start on the left? If only. So that Gabriel Jesus can play centrally, or would you, uh, would you try something else? I mean, I, I, look, there's a wider discussion then about Eddie. Uh, what well, we said in the first half, we we understand why that decision was made yesterday. I think the more you have Gabriel Jesus at centre forward, the more chance you have of of winning a game of football. Even if he is capable of playing out wide in both positions, I really think. That him at centre forward is not the key, but fundamental to us playing well from an attacking perspective. Mm.
2: I mean, I, I think if you if if you ask me to name Arsenal's strongest eleven to go out and put them on the pitch right now, the only position I would have question marks would be whether or not it was Havertz or 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 Vieira, because I would always pick Gabriel Jesus over Eddie Nketiah in the center, in, in the centre forward position, just one hundred percent. I just think. He causes more problems, I think, psychologically. He's a bigger player in the mind of, of opponents to think about. I think they don't know. I think there's he brings more of the unexpected. And, you know, for that reason, yes. But I, at the same time, when Eddie signed his contract extension, I never thought it was because he was going to somehow replace Gabriel Jesus. It was always as a, as a backup and another option. And you need those options when you're trying to compete across the four different uh, competitions you know I'm seeing people already questioning whether or not we should have kept Balogun there was a question from Ian uh, on on Twitter he goes by at Ian uh, 22 am I the only one who keeps thinking that we should have kept Balogun around I mean I found that kind of amusing given this was a weekend where Balogun played for Monaco and missed two penalties and they lost their derby game but I mean I, I do I do get it I mean it's that kind of like oh god you know Yeah, could we have won?
1: Well, maybe, maybe. I think you know the thing with Eddie is people have seen a lot of Eddie and Caddy, and I think we kind of understand what kind of a player he is and and what maybe his ceiling is uh, as a player. And I think yesterday he was really poor. I think he's had some very good games this season, but yesterday was was really poor. And it starts to raise the question then of like, well. If you're going to be super ruthless, if you're a manager who's like so ruthless that you are prepared to replace a very, very good goalkeeper with whom you've, um, you know, you've, you've backed all the way. He's got a great connection with the fans. He's been uh, a very important part of our progress to get us into the Champions League, and you're ruthless enough to not only drop him for the Premier League, but also the Champions League game that he helped us get into. Like, if you're going to be that ruthless, you have to apply that to every single player in every single position. And I know you can't do everything in one window. You know, I think we all accept that, that there is a limit to what you can do in windows, particularly when maybe you don't sell as well as you might have liked in the summer. But come the next window... With all due respect to Eddie and Kedia that really needs to be a significant part of what we do next. Because uh, I said this last season, I think we are, we don't maybe have quite enough variety up front. And Havertz, coming back to him, possibly gives you another option or a different kind of option at center forward, even if it's not the most convincing one. But, you know, we're just a bit five foot nine up front, right? Jesus and Kedia, they're not the same kind of players. I think Jesus is streets ahead of Eddie in terms of what he can contribute to the team. But a day like yesterday, it, it, it sort of shows you the floor and that floor needs to be raised with a different kind of different kind of player, you know?
2: So, I mean, I've got a question here from at Dave Larder two on Twitter and he says, Watkins or Tony? It's that question, isn't it? It's what type of striker which yeah. striker are you going to go for if that's if that's what you're
1: shopping for right yeah i mean they're both good players you know if you gave me a choice right now i'd take tony for sure i'd take ivan tony i think he, there's a sort of contitude about him that that this team could really use you know and i mean mm. that in a in a good way he's a very very good striker he's good in the air he gives you a physical presence up front You know, there's some baggage, obviously, with the ban and all the rest of it. But, you know, I'd bite your hand off for a striker like that. Uh, And I think that's part of what we were missing yesterday. I don't mean to say that the reason we didn't win this game was because of Eddie Kedia. We've talked about the mistakes that we made. But I think if you are looking at this team and its ability to play the kind of fluent attacking football that you want it to play, I'm not 100% sure that you can ever really do it with Eddie. Eddie gives you what he gives you and I think he's improved and I think he has, you know, he works hard and he trains hard and he's a, you know, he's a good lad and all the rest of it. But if you're going to be ruthless, if you really want to consistently uh, improve and, and uh, the, raise the level of the team throughout, you've got to apply that to, to all positions. And I think we're at a point now with Eddie where, you know, that kind of decision should be something that they're talking about at, at high level.
2: I mean, I I do think there's, a, there's an issue with Eddie in that we knew what Eddie was good at, which is he's a poacher. He's a six-yard box player. He's great in the box. He scores all his goals from very close range. And in the absence of Gabriel Jesus last season, we obviously started asking him to be far more of a hold the ball up, build up kind of play involved player. Mm. And in a way, it feels as if, some of his qualities. What we've done is we've turned Eddie and Kettier into a sort of second rate Gabriel Jesus as opposed to maybe playing to some of Eddie's kind of key qualities. Because let's be honest, yesterday he didn't really have any chances whatsoever. I mean one chance where he created it by pouncing on a on a loose mm. ball. But otherwise it's not like he was in the six yard box hacking at chances that were coming to him. Yeah. He didn't have anything. You know, he was really feeding off scraps. And uh you know, I, I think there's there's something there in that you know, if we're if we're going to have him on the pitch, you kind of need to give him some service, and we didn't really yesterday, and he suffered there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm really curious to see if we do shop and who we would shop for. I, I one, I think it'll end up costing some ridiculous amount of money, and it almost you know when you see when you see the prices of players, even like the guy that United bought uh, Holland, Holland for yeah. seventy five million quid, you know for for you know, with, with very few goals to his name in Syria, anyone of a real, real high standard now is there's such a premium mm-hmm. and, you know, <laughs> God knows who you'd have to sell to, to raise the funds to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult, but mm. you know, City have got Haaland and he's the, he's the, he's the person that you measure everybody else against these days. <clears throat> so it's um, yeah, he's a, he's a guy who can win you a title on his own. And we don't have that. So mm. we're trying to do it collectively. And we spread the goals around really well last season, but we're
1: not scoring as many this season. Mm. Bring me Evan Ferguson, I think is the uh, is the message. <laughs> uh, that would, you know, that will be a nice, easy deal to do with Brighton. You know, cheap as well. They're good at letting players go for, for very little money, you know. I mean, I honestly
2: think that you're getting to a point where a player might be worth more than a club with him. Like you could probably buy Brighton as an entire entity for the amount of money that they'll charge you for Evan <laughs> <for laughs> Uh
1: Yeah, I mean that is the that is the challenge trying to find, you know, that player. It's not easy, but um, I don't think it negates our need for something else uh, up front in any way. So, hopefully, they're having that discussion. Is it my question or your question? We've kind of gone back and forth, hasn't it? Mm. Uh,
2: shall I, shall I have a go? Yeah, why not? Okay. So this one's again off Twitter. It's uh, from at snogsmanduzi. How should fans navigate this season's inevitable second album syndrome? (laughs) A small part of me was even jaded at the thought of finding a late winner in a North London derby because it just feels like we've been here before frequently and recently. How do we make this fun again?
1: that's the thing about expectation levels. They sort of, they take fun out of it, you know? I'm not saying last season was a free hit, you know, but... It was so enjoyable because it was also a little bit unexpected, you know, to go on that kind of run, to be as good as we were, to, you know, everything was a groundswell. It's sort of like a a rolling stone gathered, lots of fun moss, and we all sat and smoked the moss and got high as kites, and it was fucking great, you know. (laughs) But this time around, it's different. It is different. I don't know, you know, I don't know what to, to suggest to anyone because, you know, like we said, we haven't lost a game this season, but it still feels a bit fraught because of some of the performances and some of the errors and and the bits and bobs that we're seeing. So I don't know if it can be as fun as last season. I I do wonder maybe if last season will exist on its own in some way as a kind of collective, I don't want to say a high point, but something that we all enjoyed uh, until such point as, you know, the the wheels came off a little bit and, and uh, you know, we fell away. But even then I think, the, the the goodwill that we had generated made that fall away not feel quite as bad as as it might have or or would have done in in another season like i think if we if the same scenario played out this season where we go charging off and then fall away it would be a lot worse because the expectation levels are a lot higher so i just think the two are are connected they're connected when you mm-hmm. expect and you don't deliver it's disappointing there's no way around. I mean, that. I think
2: the free, yeah, I think the free hit kind of comes in the Champions League, doesn't it? Mm. Like that's where you can have your your fun because no one's expecting Arsenal to win the Champions League. Um, we can kind of play with a little bit more freedom, mm. see how we go, and 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 maybe we'll surprise people if we get through the group stages and have a, a, a bit of a run in the the knockout stages. But I think um, there is there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that there's a tension in the crowd now. And while there's also a, a sense that Arsenal at any moment could pull a rabbit from a hat and, you know, do what we did against United and, and get those late wins, you you do know that as a football fan, you can't win every game in the 97th minute. Mm. We, we need to start to build some momentum. You know, we need to become a kind of irrepressible juggernaut. You know, that city, you just sort of start grinding out games. You win them 2-0, 2-1, mm. 2-0, 2-0, 2-0, you know, that kind of you do enough to crush the spirit of opponents and you get on a run and you start to make your way up the table. Look, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the fact that city are completely unbeaten and racing to the racing away at the moment is, is a bit deflating for everyone as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We need them to drop points. We need them to lose. And uh, that needs to happen quickly. Maybe when uh, Invincibles Day comes around at some point, that'll be the boost that we need.
1: Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, yeah, we're just going to have to hope that the team can raise its level and, you know, play as well as we, we think they can or we hope they can. Um, is it mine or is it yours? I keep forgetting. Did I, I, I die. you this All oh, right. Okay. Uh, Steven says, morning, Andrews. Was that Raya save the best save since Seaman versus Sheffield United? If not, what was a better save? Oh,
2: it was a good save. I mean, I think you have to kind of take it down a notch when you look at how badly Brennan Johnson hit the ball. I mean, he basically scuffed it into his other foot and even, you know, he should have scored that really. I mean, mm. if he makes a decent contact, then Raya doesn't have a chance. Fantastic save. Uh, I mean, I could easily point at a couple of Ramsdale saves last season that I were think probably the, on, a, on a par.
1: the Liverpool, yeah, the, the two saves yeah. laid against Liverpool were, I think, probably better. Than the Raya one mm. yesterday for me. I did have another question yeah. here about uh, Raya and Ramsay. I mean, what did you think of of Raya yesterday? First, um, I, I yeah you know, I was disappointed with yeah. his kicking. You know, for a guy whose superpower is supposed to be his distribution, his long distribution in particular. Like, I accept the fact he didn't have you know a, an Ivan Tony to launch the ball to. It was you know not quite that, but at the same time. I thought in terms of his kicking, he was a little bit wayward yesterday.
2: 19 of 29 passes completed. Um, And a lot of the ones that went astray were the longer balls. There was a couple that went out of play. Mm. Uh, I thought he didn't necessarily bring the level of control we might have wanted in key moments of the game. There was a couple of times he held onto the ball a little bit too long. He got chased down. He ended up... Mm not making the pass that he might have wanted to have made so yeah i mean i i I think if you said to me look that's fine if that was a backup goalkeeper matt turner and he produced that performance i'd be over the moon but if this is a guy who's supposed to be coming in and taking the level up another notch from an already very good goalkeeper i didn't see a huge amount of difference there i'm not clamoring to see ramsdale back in goal Uh, you know now that rise here i'm curious to see how he gets on but I don't think it's as cut and dry. I don't think we're suddenly just going to sort of become a much better team because Raya's there, that's for sure.
1: Six of 16 long balls completed yesterday. And I think he should be capable of of doing a lot more. I mean, the moment where he made the save on Sky, Gary Neville was like, what must Aaron Ramsdale be thinking? It's like, (laughs) you little dickhead. He'll be thinking, fuck, thank God my teammate stopped Spurs from scoring. What else would he be fucking thinking, you? prick um, well, it, was a, it was a
2: very obvious reaction wasn't it from Ramsdale to kind of he knew the cameras would be on him after that save to mm. to sort of clap his uh, fellow goalkeeper
1: yeah I mean, he, but like I think you can also think. you Not can right. yeah. you can yeah you can um, be pissed off that you you've lost your place and you can be unhappy about that but you can also appreciate a, a fine moment from one of your teammates particularly in a North London derby um but Trash Cannon on the Discord said, with all the talk of quiet and calmness from Raya, did we miss a bit of the emotion from Ramsdale today? This has been an emotional team in the recent past, and this was an emotional game. So I think Ramsdale hyping the crowd and getting into the players could have made a difference.
2: Uh yeah I mean I think the only player I saw hype in the crowd up yesterday was Inchenko in the last few minutes. I felt Erdegaard didn't partly because I think Erdegaard felt so self-conscious about mm. his own performance really. Uh yeah I mean I mean the crowd didn't need any geeing up particularly yesterday I don't think. I mean it's a North London derby. You know, you know, when your team's playing well, and and you know, when a team you feel like a goal is about to come just yesterday, mm. it just was all a bit off, unfortunately. I don't know about adding extra emotion to the situation with Ramsdale. I would say that Ramsdale was the man of the match in the last North London derby away from home, yes. Um, you know, produced great saves in, in moments that mattered. You know, he's he's been there, done it, win those games. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think. I, I assume that Ramsdale will back in the team now on on Wednesday for the for the Carabao Cup game at Brentford.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, we'd question a game about that, that as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it's
2: a game a game that nobody will ever see probably because it's not being broadcast in the UK. So I've got no idea whether anyone's going to be able to get a stream of that.
1: Uh, let me just have a look here and see—is it on TV somewhere in the world? Uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, boom, boom, boom! Brentford versus it is. It is on some being sport channels in right. France, Australia. Um it's on via play Actually, we've, we've, and we've got a chance. Yeah, so yeah. there's the, potentially we will be able to find a, a stream of this one, um, which is unlike the, the third round game we played last season. Was that against Brighton?
2: Uh, yes, there was a Brighton one. And there was also um, a few years ago we played AFC Wimbledon. And I remember you basically saying to me, I need you to write the report when you get home because nobody's been able to watch the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which yeah. is that mad situation where you can spend thousands of pounds on subscription services in the UK and still only get um, you know, access to about 50% of the football. But yeah. there
1: you go. Um, another day. DJ Nolan on the Discord says, uh, Is Wednesday's game now more important? Not only to get minutes into the legs of El Neni, Smith Rowe, Jorginho, but are there not some youngsters that we need to get some match time as cover is now very thin on the ground? Like the injuries going into this game, I think are a real headache for, mm. for Mikel Arteta. Like, do not under any circumstances play Bakayo Saka in this game. Just do not. Uh you know, if he's limping. I think you will be on the bench though. He probably will be. He probably will yeah. be. I mean, I know Arteta is you know, banging that you've got to be able to play every three or four days drum. Um but it's also a game that he has to he has to I think use the full extent of his squad and that's probably gonna mean uh quite Cedric a makeshift at right yeah. Cedric at, I mean, Cedric at right back. It could well be Cedric at yeah. right back. I mean, if we try and pick a team, right? If you do mm. Ramsdale in for Raya, mm-hmm. Kivior has got to come into the team, I guess. Tommy Asu. Tommy Asu's got to come into the team. So but he, I
2: think Tommy Asu probably at left back because I think, I think he'll partner one of Gabriel and Saliba with Kivior. I think.
1: I think it'll probably be Saliba. Yeah, okay. Midfield, you've got Jorginho, Elneny, Smith-Rowe, Havertz, Vieira. You know, would you be unhappy to see any of them starting? I
2: don't think Elneny's going to be fit to start a game. So I assume it'll be Jorginho. But when you consider that Jorginho is now the only fit holding midfielder, assuming Rice is a bit banjaxed and Mm. Partey's a bit... Banjax, it makes you a little bit nervous, but you've got to go with it, right? I mean, the guy needs some game time. He needs a bit of flow. Um, You know, he may well have to play a few games, so we might as well give him a run. But I do think you might have to then start looking at – I mean, it's going to be a bit of a mix and match team, isn't it? You could probably play Jorginho, Smith-Rowe, Vieira.
1: Nelson. up top. Nelson. Who do you play on the right? Do you play – Who do you play on the right? You know, do you play a, do you play a kid? Koja Dubery somebody like that coming in to get a start. Eddie, Eddie and Keddie are starting up front. I guess you could have someone like Ethan Nguyenary on the bench. Maybe, I don't know. It's a difficult place to go as well. Brentford. I mean, they will make changes, but it's not like you're playing Colchester or something, you know, where you can just be Mm. Colchester at home. And it's like, you know what? We'll, we'll rotate the bollocks out of it. Uh, I, I think he is going to have to take it a little bit seriously, but the injuries are are piling up and there are some big games.
2: Well, you, I mean, you know, with three away games on the trot, having just drawn at home, you, you, you need momentum going into that City game. You mm. certainly don't want to be going into that City game having had, you know, a, a defeat in the Champions League or a, a struggle away from home against Bournemouth. Uh, so he's got to manage all of that. I mean, he did say from the outset that those players who've been sitting on the bench in the first month of the season will be getting game time, and there's absolutely no doubt about that mm. i mean there are there are options i mean there are there are sort of some other left field options aren't there I mean Kivi or played um Defensive midfield a few times in, in for Spezia, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um someone who could potentially sort of anchor a midfield if you were really, really desperate. But I think you're getting into Johan Juru anchoring the midfield kind of territory with <laughs> yeah, that
1: maybe. Yeah. Could Thomas Vermalen be the defensive midfielder we need? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I, I, I think it will be a I think it will be a mix. Um But yeah. I'm not sure what to think about this game. You know, I'm not sure what to think about the the Carabao Cup. Uh, like, I don't think you could turn your nose up at any competition or any chance of silverware, but also, you know, at the moment, it, it's funny, isn't it? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the bench and went, holy shit, what a fucking bench that is. Yeah. And a couple of injuries, and you're like... It's not quite as strong. But I mean, I, I guess that happens when you've got a nine-man bench where your know, couple of injuries mean some very, very fringe characters come in on the bench and that sort of uh, has an impact on how you view the, the strength of it as a whole, you know?
2: Mm. Um, should we slightly change tack? I've got another one, uh, which is around, around Erdegard who obviously okay. didn't have the, the best game. But it's a slightly light-hearted question. So this is from at Mishimarn who uh, goes by at Marn MKD on Twitter. Odegaard had a really bad game with terrible passing. The week before, he made an interview with Clive Palmer about his new contract. Do you think Clive's soothing voice made Erdegaard too relaxed? <laughs> yeah,
1: let's blame Clive. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the analysis. We'll just blame Clive.
2: Um, no, I mean, it's... It's, an, it's another massive contract handed out to a player who's now going to see a huge downturn in performances. Well, uh, he'll yeah. start turning up late in his Lamborghini. He'll be <laughs> suspended soon. <laughs>
1: No, I don't think that'll happen. It's just one of those things, isn't it, where he had a, like a really bad yeah. game in what was a really big week for him, you know? Scored a goal in midweek, signed his new contract, everybody's happy, and then, you know, like any player, you can have an off day, and I think he very, very much had a, a, an off day. Um, but, I, you know, he worked as hard as he ever did. He, he led the press. Mm. You know, you saw him... Um, You know, after we scored and went ahead for the penalty, he immediately takes off and starts the press and we get the ball back, or they kick the ball away and we get the ball back. Uh, You know, and then Jorginho makes that mistake. So, yeah. Um, What about this from John66? Who's at John66 underscore EPL? At what point do we accept that relying on Thomas Partey has killed us once again? We don't have a natural eight, and it feels like Partey six, rice eight was meant to be the plan for these games.
2: Yeah, interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, 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 I do think that probably was the case. The moment we made the decision that we were going to keep Thomas Party, and given the way that Thomas Party, you know, started the season, which was actually very well, uh, I do think that yes, you would have had that real physical mm. double ball winning uh, opportunity in, in Rice and, and Party. So, yeah, I mean, Thomas Party's legs are, you know, in- increasingly looking like they're made of the same stuff as, I don't know. Or something that's very fragile, glass. Not glass. Anyway, he's. It's not good, is it? I mean, we're going to have to upgrade him at some point, mm. and this really felt like the summer when we had an opportunity to to do that. And given that we were sniffing around certain players like Lavia and like Caicedo, it's clear that we had an interest in in potentially doing that. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it is difficult, isn't it? I mean, I, I have no faith that Thomas Party, even when he comes back, won't. Probably pick up some other knock at some other point in the season as well. Um, it's difficult. Uh, it's an issue that we need to tackle. But then you know, if we're also thinking about one day upgrading at centre forward, that's two very expensive positions to upgrade at the same time. So, look, it's yeah, just it's been idea. the what do you think?
1: It's just been the story of his Arsenal career. You know, injuries consistent injuries and you know we've missed him I think we probably miss him a bit less this time around but we still miss him and I do think that point about him anchoring the midfield with Rice ahead of him and Odegaard I mean that really is you know if all three of them play and play at their best it's a fucking great midfield on a footballing mm. basis you know Um and I do think that would have been the idea or the plan for for big games. I don't know if there's any chance that he's going to be back for for Man City. And and look, we have to wait and see what's going on with uh, with Rice. Arteta said it's a back problem. They said on TV he had he had a uh, his calf was strapped up. And I was watching James's video this morning, and he was saying that um, you know he sort of had a calf problem when he arrived in the summer, and he's been you know not nursed through but they've been managing that pretty carefully so if it's a double whammy of a calf and back who knows it could be just that his calf is strapped up anyway so maybe it's not a calf injury but but could well be a back injury back injuries are you know as we saw with Saliba last season unpredictable they can take quite a long time to heal um mm. so we don't even know if Rice is going to be available for the for the Manchester City game at this point so
2: I mean, yeah. you certainly wouldn't want any more injuries at this point. No. Any more injuries to that, you know, to, 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 to who we are now going to be leaning on to start games mm. is almost disastrous going into that City game, Yeah, I think. Because um, it's now become a game because of the gap that's already there that one you can't afford to lose.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, even if we beat Bournemouth and assume that City beat Bournemouth, I mean, that gap will be huge if, if City beat us at the Emirates. Absolutely huge. You mm-hmm. know, I, I'm not saying it completely rules us out of a title challenge, but, you know, how do you overhaul a, what would it be? A seven point gap? It's four now. Yeah, if they you, want, you you know, How do you overhaul a seven point gap on Manchester City? That's, that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Pressure yeah. plus expectation plus points gap to Manchester City. Oh, it's going to be fun in the weeks ahead. But look, you know, maybe, maybe you know, the 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 immediate impact of the derby, um, you know, makes things look in the cold light of day a bit more grimy than they actually are. And you know, a couple of good results and a couple of good performances, and we'll be thinking about things a little bit differently. So let's hope we can let's hope we can get that, particularly against Bournemouth. Not so much against Brentford in midweek, which, you know, I don't know. Uh, is going to be any real marker for, for what lies ahead. But certainly a trip to Bournemouth is is, uh, is next on the agenda in terms of the uh, the Premier League. But look, I think we've sort of done what we needed to do in terms of questions and uh, analysis of the Derby. So we'll leave it there. Andrew, thank you very much. Thank you very much. James will be back next week. You can join us a little bit later on this afternoon on Patreon. We will have an episode of The 30 for you, in which we look back at all the weekend's Premier League action. Plenty going on. Newcastle going goal fucking crazy Uh, against Sheffield United, amongst other things. So join myself and Phil Costa for that over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. For now, we'll leave it there, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.